Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I'm Subi alongside me is The Shark. We're brought to you by Dash Radio and the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device you use. I actually heard... Jordan Loveridge, former guard at the University of Utah, subscribes so you should as well. Jordan Loveridge, one of uh, Utah's biggest fan favorites, and apparently Jim Boylan, current head coach of the Chicago Bulls, much maligned head coach of the Chicago Bulls. He used to be the Utah head coach, and he straight up told Jordan Loveridge that he wasn't good enough to play at Utah. And all Loveridge did was lead a team to the Sweet 16 and finish 13th all-time in Utah history scoring so i think that's just another notch in the jim boylan's a complete idiot uh camp there check out the website at the barnburner.com that's the dash barnburner.com and make sure to follow us on twitter at cbb theater you should also follow me at subi232 to find out where the feet is and make sure to follow the shark at the underscore shark underscore bb let's open the curtains Shark is a married man. Welcome back after your honeymoon. Was it a honeymoon? Tell us about the wedding. Did you find yourself a lady shark? Are there female sharks that that need to be named something? Tons of questions here uh, for, from me, but I'll pause and give you the floor. 
Yeah, you know, it happened a while ago. COVID, COVID has changed a lot of stuff. I wouldn't call it necessarily a honeymoon either. It's just kind of a, uh, it's a good word for it. Kind of just a little, little detour, you know, to shut the engine down for a little bit, take a few weeks off, go out and into the woods, kind of kick back, hit some New England beach, all that sort of stuff. So I missed the show. I listened to the show that you guys did without me. I saw that you kept chugging along, but yeah, you know, big, big life moment happened there. You, you mentioned cows. when you're, well, you were mentioned, um, in your intro about leverage right there, you said another, another, just another notch on the old belt. Got me thinking of uh, Christopher Walken, you know, Secretary Cleary, Wedding Crashers. We should probably talk about that debate that was brought up, whether or not you go Wedding Crashers or old school. I don't know if that's on your little note sheet over there or not. Let's talk shop about that. A couple of weeks ago, I saw it first posed on Twitter, which was better, old school or Wedding Crashers. Now, if you know me, I'm not going to speak for you, but I, I think I do speak for you when I say this. Wedding Crashers beats it out. That's not a knock on old school. Wedding Crashers is just the most flawless comedy of our of our generation. And so it beats out old school and I don't think it's it's a it's a, it's one of those deals where you, it edges it out. I think it beats it out maybe by 7 or 8 points. You know, it's a close game throughout the entire uh, the first and second half and then you hit a couple free throws to seal it with about 12 seconds left. That's how I view Wedding Crashers and then Barstool Carl posted a uh posted a poll and he actually broke down both films, which was, I thought it was very impressive. And the general verdict or the consensus from him and a few others was that old school was better. Uh, just, I got to disagree with that. I disagree with it as well. You know, I'm, I'm a WC guy. I consider it to be the greatest movie ever made just because it, one, it's just absolutely hysterical, as you mentioned, but it's also just kind of a heartwarming tale as well. It's got the friendship aspect of it, two guys that have just been friends for life, uh, you know, not necessarily finding love, but letting it come to them. And then it's just a phenomenal movie from start to finish. Old school, you know, it's I, it's great. I mean, I, I had a tweet a long time ago about how old school is one of the best movies ever made as well, but it, it really just doesn't have the outrageously laugh out loud moments that I think wedding crashers has and wedding crashers from start to finish is just all up in your face. And the brutal reality of it is, is Mitch Luke Wilson. He's just not a funny enough guy. You know, he, he as the lead guy, as the protagonist in the movie, he's just not bringing it for me. You know, if you have someone else in that role that can, that can carry the film, then I think you might get there because the premise of old school is hilarious. Honestly, if you switch Ari gold, you took Ari Gold and you took him out of the principal role and you put him in the role of Mitch and you put Luke Wilson, you put him in the principal role. I think that might make it a better movie. I don't know. I, I do agree with you that the ancillary or the supporting cast there around Luke Wilson was hysterical. You got Cheese. Uh, he got out. You got Vince Vaughn. Who, Beanie, Beanie's the best character, in my opinion, in that film. It's either him or Frank the Tank. Uh, and then even Andy Dick as a, a blowjob instructor cameo funnier than Luke Wilson. Uh, you know, Craig Kilborn, Craig Kilborn was played a perfect dickhead. Uh, there's a lot of other characters that I think were funnier than Luke Wilson. And maybe that was done on purpose. I, another point that I want to make, and a lot of people have used this point to detract from wedding crashers is they said that there was too much of a lull or that it was a little too romantic, romantic in the rom-com part of it, however you want to describe it. They said, you know, the love between uh, Owen Wilson and Rachel McAdams might've been a little bit too much. Get a mature palette, people. I mean, it can't just be an entire film of, 
dirty humor jokes, right? I mean, I, I need a little bit of a break. And Wedding Crashers has the perfect amount of uh, it has the perfect balance. It really does. I mean, Cooper is also the perfect asshole. And then, but you're right. I, I do think the 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 leads in Owen Wilson and and Vince Vaughn, both of them are better than than Luke Wilson. Obviously, together they are as well. So yeah, that's what it comes down to. Even even in the Wedding Crashers lull, even when it's getting sappy and you're thinking he's reading the Don't Kill Myself book and all that, even that stuff's funny. It's little quips that they have going back and forth, the way they talk to each other, the way they interact, all those little things. They're still hysterical. So the 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 acting, I think, is what puts um, and the comedic ability of the two uh, main characters in Wedding Crashers what gets the, gets it the win for me. So. Again, this is not to say that we're dumping on old school because old school no, is fantastic not. as well. I just I think people need to know where exactly we hold wedding crashers in the all-time annals of of history, and it's number one. And, and also, how yeah. have we gone this long without without mentioning the greatest montage of all time? Oh, yeah. I mean, when you're a young teenage horny kid, that's how you want to start a movie, right there. That's how you want to start it. And plus like the, the ramifications it's had on American wedding culture as well, where you got shout is just a staple at every wedding that you go to, you know, you could, you could argue that wedding crashers has changed the lives of many people because many people's greatest memories are of weddings. And when they put on shout, I know a few of our buddies, they run, they run shout back, you know, twice at a wedding. And that's probably because of the impact that wedding crashers had on a lot of people. The brilliance of that montage as well is they didn't fixate, just on like Irish Catholic culture or just white culture, right? You got, you got the Asians, Indians, Irish. It's just all of it uh, t- together. So it's a film for quite literally everyone. Inclusiveness. That's what 2020 is teaching us is inclusiveness. Way back in 2008, Jeremy Gray, uh, Chuck Vindaloo, Sanjay Collins, they showed us the way. So yeah, Wedding Crashers is, we are a Wedding Crashers program. Indeed, right. we are. Let's dive in here at 25. Shark, we're at, we're at top 25 now. This summer's chugging along, baby. Uh, we are at 25 now, and coming in at 25 out of the Big 12, it's the Texas Longhorns. Zero national titles, three final fours, 25 conference titles, seven elite eights, 10 sweet 16s, and 34 NCAA tournament appearances. So a few of my thoughts here on the Longhorns. This is very fitting for Texas. They're typically in the top 25, but this is like their jurisdiction right here, 20 to 25. You think about the Longhorns pretty much year in and year out. Whenever they're ranked, it's not a top 10 team. It's not a top five team with the exception of a few of those years. They're usually around 20 to 25. And they've had some incredible talent come through Austin over the years, uh, including the likes of, of course, Kevin Durant. That's who you got to lead off with. But I mean, I, I was doing some research and I thought I was just going to have a few others. They also had Mo Bamba who drafted, who was a lottery pick, LaMarcus Aldridge, Aldridge, Chris Mim, lottery pick, TJ Ford, DJ Augustine, Tristan Thompson, Miles Turner, and most recently Jackson Hayes, but they could never really put it together when it counts. And you could kind of knock Rick Barnes on that. You can certainly knock Shaka Smart on that for the amount of money that he's bringing in. I think that experiment we can say has just been very lukewarm. Uh, but I think a lot of people lost faith in Rick Barnes and Texas as a tournament team when he couldn't make a deep run with Durant, with Damian James, with DJ Augustine, but they do have a very solid overall resume that kind of lands them here. Uh, And that includes big, you know, 
Big 12 regular season and conference titles, but never really that deep run in the tournament. I'd say for me, the wheels kind of fell off for Rick Barnes in Texas that one year where they were ranked number one in the country. It was Dexter Pittman. I think Avery Bradley was on that team. Maybe Jordan Hamilton. I forget. But they go into stores as the number one ranked team in the country, and they just get walloped by UConn. And I think by the next week and a half, maybe it was two weeks, they were unranked. One of the most precipitous falls I can remember. And then Texas really just hasn't recovered, not only in that year, but since then. Uh, What are your thoughts on Texas there coming in at 25? They won. I'm kind of surprised that they aren't a better program than they are. I was just in Austin this past weekend, actually great city. Let me, let me just say that I was there for work. I had to roll through, but I mean, that, that campus is one beautiful Two, It's in an awesome city three. It's like within the downtown part of the city Four, it's the probably one of the best athletic States in the country with no real competition in terms of sports. And, you know, five, it's a good academic institution too. So I don't understand how these guys haven't been, an absolute plow horse like Kansas has been in the big 12 for as long as they have the fact that they've never won a title. The fact that they have like three cups of coffee in the final four, two of which were in the forties. So, I mean, can you really count that? But I mean, they had the one in 2003, but really they just, they, they're only within this top five because of the, just the, the amount of tournament appearances that they have. And, you know, they, they got the sweet 16s and the elite eights and they've won some conference tournaments but outside of that it's a pretty lackluster resume and it shouldn't be um even when you kind of peel back the the history and the lineage of their program they they don't really have a lot of hall of, i mean durant might be the only one that's going to be a hall of fame player from that program uh you can't think of any great college players that come out of there in the 80s 70s or anyone like that when you go back to it all comes out of the 2000s right here it's guys that are there for a year or two and then move on so the the legacy should be better, but they do have the numbers that put them better than all the you know the twenty five other teams that we've listed at this point. Uh, well, you know the, their best team when you really look at it was that two thousand three team. TJ Ford, everybody loved TJ Ford. He was such a quick little bastard running up down the court, uh, lottery pick eventually, and then he had the injury that kind of set him back. But he was really exciting to watch. But they had other guys on that team. Remember Royale Ivy kind of like a Rajon Rondo type player, long, a defensive type guy. Um, I think Ivy hit a game-winning shot in the tournament too. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, the Brandon Mouton, uh, the the big white dude, Buckner. Brad Buckner, they, yeah. Buckner, they had all those guys. Like, you remember that team, and they're really good. They went to the Final Four, but to think that should have catapulted to them to the next level. The year when they had Durant with DJ Augustine, they obviously they should have – went further in the tournament. I think they lost to Oklahoma state. If I remember in like a four overtime game or something, um, this is soup. We need a freaking producer or something just so we can have, I know we don't make any money off this show, but if there's a freak out there that listens to us, what is this? The 70th episode that we've done. If there's some absolute lunatic that listens to every single one of these episodes and you want to help us out by giving us little, uh, factoids to go off of in the middle of the show. I'd be grateful for that. I know it's you probably know, on. A, this oh. is good though. This is kind of nice. If this the the listener right now, the theater goer is listening, and they're probably saying to themselves, "I know who they lost to. It might have been Oklahoma State, but maybe they're just waiting with bated breath for us to get it at some point." So you think there's something to be said for like the genuine kind of uh, 
tone of the show where it's kind of like sometimes we get shit wrong. When we launched this program, we said we're not the guys that are going to dive deep into the stats or the research. This is just straight off the top of the dome based off of real life experiences and what we can retain. To quote Owen Wilson, brother of Luke Wilson, who carried the film that we led with in the beginning of this, but also quoting Owen Wilson in a different movie. I'm quoting in You, Me, and Dupree. If you're looking for Clydesdales, we're not your guys. All right. I'm going off the hip right here. I'm going off of what I remembered about what happened in the late 2000s when Durant, I'm pretty sure they were in the top right bracket of the tournament. Top right. I'm pretty sure it was there. I'm pretty sure it was a long overtime game, and I'm pretty sure they got wiped out by Oklahoma State because the color clash was going on. So that's where my brain is right now. I, I Normally, I'm pretty good with this. I can pull random things like this. So that's where I'm at. But if there is a producer that wants to be our Clyde still, you could be our guy. Well, so you know how teachers and when you're young, you're, you start learning how the brain works and you see like, are you a visual learner? Do you learn with pictures or graphs, things like that versus a numerical mm-hmm. learner? I don't know if these, they gotta, they gotta equate that to like bracketology. How do you learn about bracketology? Cause you're very good at top, right, top left, all this stuff. I'm terrible at it. I can't tell you what region a team was in. I can't tell you what, uh, you know, I can't tell you what uh, side of the bracket they were in. I can tell you what venue they were in. Could probably tell you what city they were in. Like, we're going to, this is a little teaser for a where am I uh, later in this episode, but Vermont uh, beating Syracuse, DCU Center, Worcester, Massachusetts. I think we all, like, I don't know how many people remember that, but there's a lot of ways that you can learn about the bracket. So you're a top right, top left kind of guy. Yeah, well, just to, I mean, I researched it during your little speech right there, and I was completely wrong. It was, it was Oklahoma State. They played USC. It wasn't Oklahoma State. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, they got killed, too. Second round. Um, yeah, well, so it, I mean, wasn't a, it wasn't Oklahoma State, and it wasn't a quadruple nope. overtime game. Nope, not at all. So, yeah, uh, I mean, it could have been top right, though. I might have been right about the top right bracket. So we've actually incorporated a lot of good theater references here when talking about Texas. Let me get one more in here. Dexter Pittman, you know which character he reminds me of. And it was, I'll give you a hint. It's a TV show, 30 minutes, HBO. Completely fizzled out, but at its apex, it was great. And when I say great, I'm kind of being facetious, but we truly did love the show. Yeah, so you're going, you're leaning ballers right here. Um, and I'm trying to remember the name of the, it's the former offensive lineman that goes into the, uh, front office. And it's actually very funny that you bring this up and I'm kind of concerned that our minds are too synced up right now because of how off we are, but the Redskins, um, front office guy, Alex Santos actually looks exactly like this guy as well. And I literally just thought of it before we went on the show. So this guy, whoever, what's his name? Charles green, Charles green also played. Uh, he was in B Rabbit's cl- uh, crew in Eight Mile. Um, he, he like hangs out with them, but yes, Dexter Pittman, that guy, Redskins sexual harasser in the front office. You know, all one and the same, right there. Best player, Kevin Durant. I think that's a no brainer. I'm trying to. So I was looking at the fan favorites and best player, obviously, and I I wanted to just say what we had originally put down but I think we missed the mark on a lot of these. Uh, and I'm not, again, I forget, this is like a running theme in all of our shows. I forget who did which conference and who was responsible for the best player fan favorite, but 
We also said Kevin Durant was the fan favorite for Texas. That might be true, but I would go with a guy like Damian James, who was just a workhorse, uh, gobbled up every rebound. I think he tore his shoulder a million times. Damian James seems more like a Texas basketball fan favorite to me. Uh, did you have anyone else in mind? I was thinking Douglas Balbay. You remember him? I feel like he's a fan favorite of ours because he's so, he's just an absurd human being. But if I've, I, he he would drive me mad. He missed a bunch of crucial free throws at Texas, if I'm not mistaken. He yeah. sucked. <laughs> I don't know about I don't know about if he sucked. He was like he was just he was like your four year point guard. And you're like all right, I guess we got to deal with Doge's Balbay. Yeah, he's tough as nails though, man. Like you guys brought this. I hate to do this. I hate to compare white guys to white guys and do all that, but. Um, very uh, Chris Kramer, Purdue-like, you know, do the dirty work. Yeah, the, the football players that just masquerade yeah. around as basketball players, yeah. All right, Texas at 25, coming in at 24 out of the Big 12 as well. Uh, their rival, arch rival. So in the Titch rankings, hug for you, Oklahoma, zero national titles, five Final Fours, 14 conference titles, nine Elite Eights, 10 Sweet 16s, and 32 NCAA tournaments for the Oklahoma Sooners coming in at 24. Uh, so they do edge out Texas here, winning the Red River, River rivalry. Oklahoma is a team that I figured would be much lower on this list, to be honest with you, coming in. But they've had some strong teams and definitely a strong resume, especially when you consider that they've been to five Final Fours, a shocking number to me. I had no clue that a football school like Oklahoma has been to five Final Fours. And one of those uh, Final Fours actually came very recently, I think 2016, uh, where they got smashed by Villanova. It, look up that score right now. It was one of the worst s- semifinal matchups I've ever watched. It was boring as fuck. I think Nova literally beat them by 40. Game was over by the under 10 timeout in the first half. Actually, Nova did that to Kansas a couple years later, I believe, uh, en route to their second national title. So if Nova's in the Final Four, and they beat the piss out of a team, uh, they're going to win the national title. But that Oklahoma team losing to Nova, uh, they, they were in the Final Four. The three main coaches, Shark, that you could tie Oklahoma basketball success to was Kelvin Sampson, Jeff Capel, and Lon Kruger. Sampson had those gritty teams in the mid, uh, the early to mid-2000s, led by who you're coming in as, Hollis Price and Eduardo Nahara. Uh, then Capel brought in the star power with Blake Griffin, Willie Warren, I think, was uh, a top recruit, and then Tiny Gallon, but he never really had the tournament success that his predecessor had uh, in in Sampson, but also his successor in Long Kruger, who just can coach his ass off. I mean, Long Kruger is one of the most underrated coaches in my book. He's the first coach ever to have taken five different teams to the Sweet 16, uh, and he recruited Buddy Heald, who was not very heralded coming in, but turned him into the National Player of the Year. So that's up my thoughts on Oklahoma. Oklahoma, um, very similar numbers and raw data to that of Texas. Obviously, Red River, River. I can never say it. I, we went to it last year, Father, but I can never say the the three R's right there. But they're right next to each other. The difference, uh, I think the reason that I personally ranked Oklahoma higher than Texas was just strictly because they have two Final Fours within this century. Uh, obviously, there was the one that you referenced from 2016 when Buddy Heald was leading the charge. With Long Kruger, I remember watching that at Buffalo Billiards in D.C. Uh, 
RIP no longer around, but they lost by like 40 points. That wasn't even close. It was a pretty embarrassing performance. The other one was in 2002, and that is when my guy Hollis Price was leading the charge. I went back and actually looked at this because this is early 2000s. Um, interestingly enough, so they they beat Oklahoma. They beat Arizona. So Oklahoma was the two seed. They beat Arizona in the Sweet 16, and then once they got to the Elite Eight, they played a 12 seed Missouri. So Missouri could have snuck into the Final Four right there as a 12 seed at that point, but Oklahoma won. Uh, then they went on and they played Indiana in the following round, which they lost that game, um, and that was the year that Maryland had won it all. So Oklahoma, a good run right there. Hollis Price for some, one of my memories in my head is always just Hollis Price uh, shooting free throws. I don't know why he was a phenomenal free throw shooter. I know that much, but I definitely always remember that. And then when you kind of look at the body of work for, of them, other way. Uh, excuse me otherwise they have you know Blake Griffin was an outstanding player for them in the late 2000s Wayman Tisdale outstanding player in the 80s uh they got that Toby Keith song that uh crying for you 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 heard that one Sue oh of course I was gonna bring up the fact that the 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 relationship between the program and one of the greatest country singers of all time should probably factor into their ranking as well can we can can you cut this up and just play that song right here I love that song Consider it cut. Just, yeah. just give me, yeah, give it a little sip. You know, give everyone a little sip. Good. I'm gonna miss that smile. I'm gonna miss you, my friend. Even though it hurts the way it ended up, I do it all again. So play it sweet in heaven, cause that's right where you wanna be. I'm not crying cause I feel so sorry for you. Crying for me But anyways, uh, I hope you enjoyed that uh, The Crying for You, the Wayman Tisdale song that Toby Keith did right there That's really all I can say about the 24-ranked program right here Oklahoma, outstanding program uh, Two Final Fours when it matters But at the same time, they have a great body of work a uh, few tournament appearances, fewer, that was a bad sentence, than Texas, but they they make up for it in the other categories. In the pantheon of tough as Dale's point guards, Hollis Price, for some reason, always goes overlooked. I think he was, he's from New Orleans originally. Uh, and I mean, this this kid was so incredibly tough. He always wore, he wore those, uh, he wore those like elbow pads. They weren't pad. They were like these stretchy elbow sort of pads that football players used to always wear. I think Hakeem Olajuwon wore those in his in his twilight days with the Toronto Raptors. Kevin Willis used to wear those. I mean, I'm going down an incredibly weird rabbit hole here, but Hollis Price deserves more love. And now to a current player, Brady Manick. He doesn't shoot like Larry Bird. He doesn't play like Larry Bird but he looks just like Larry Bird with that disgusting blonde short mustache. But Brady Manick deserves that shout out because he's probably their best player right now, I'd say. Yeah, I would agree. And you brought up Long Kruger. Uh, Long Kruger. I mean, I'm surprised we didn't pull this right here, but he, he is kind of the face of the above average but not elite coach. And without giving away spoilers for the amount of team, the teams that we're talking about in this episode, but Lon Kruger literally coached three of these teams that we're talking about here today, which is outrageous because we're just talking about teams that are within the 20 to 25 range. And that's the Lon Kruger range right there. He is the face 
of this type of coach, a team perennially perennially. Why can't I talk today? I had, I've been drinking these ahas, you know, slowing, slowing my tongue down a little bit. Got to get the tongue fired up. Um, so long Kruger, the picture perfect example of a head coach that is 20 to 25. And he's coached three of these motherfuckers in this episode today. We need to, so we have the Heisman house. We also need to compile a list or create a house of coaches that are good. Like, obviously we respect them. They're great. But if you, if you come at them or if you like critique them at all, because they haven't won titles, then the, the media will tell, Oh, like, like a Tony Bennett prior to a couple years ago, if you so much as pointed out the fact that he falls short in the tournament, you got guys like Billis, Vitale, Andy Katz being like, he doesn't need to prove anything. It's the, it's the quote. He doesn't need to prove anything coaches when in reality on the hush hush, they need to prove something if they really want to be looked at as like a, you know, in the, in the level of like a coach K well, not a coach K that's too much, but like, I don't know. Think of someone with one, or, probably a Tony Bennett now. No, I, I really like where you're going with this. And I know exactly what you're talking about. I can't quite put my finger on it. It's like the classic four seed in the East, in the NBA, where like they're always pretty good, but they're never going to get by the one seed or like the Atlanta Hawks from like eight or so years ago. Where like the you Pacers just, now. Yeah, Pacers right now. You, you know, you just exist. You're, you're competitive enough, but everybody and their grandmother knows that you're never going to make it through. And everybody knows that about Long Kruger. Um, I mean, all you have to do is look at how that performance he put up against Villanova back in 16. I mean, Maron. But Jay, this Jay guy Wright used to be one of those guys. He moved out of the house. <laughs> see, but like, I, I see, I think there's a difference between guys like Kruger and Wright and Bennett because Wright and Bennett have done mainly it at the same program. I You guys talked a lot about Tony Bennett in the previous episode and how he's at Washington State. Washington State was a shit program. He took them from nowhere, brought them up. Derek Lowe, the Hawaiian guy, they almost beat Notre Dame in that first round. Uh, and then he took the next job for him. Jay Wright's been at Villanova for forever. Long Kruger is like this guy that, um, I'm trying to think of what, what a good example for him. You know, so does, like, does like Mike Bray count in this? Because he's been at Notre Dame forever. But Mike Bray, really yeah. Breakthrough. See, I would much rather have a guy that's gone to various different places and just done the exact same thing with each program, which is what long Kruger kind of is like, he's always taking a middle program in a big conference or like a big state school, Florida, Illinois, uh, Oklahoma, UNLV. I consider that a big state school, just taking a big program and making them pretty good. Like he's always just pretty good. He's never great. He was one year and then he embarrassed himself. Um, but he's always going to have Oklahoma with like 12 losses. They're always going to be on the bubble. Uh, and you know, they're always going to be right within this range on the, they're like, they're not going anywhere on our list right now, unless they, they can only go up at this point. Oklahoma is the mid to late, like 2010s in terms of the bubble that Vatek was in the yeah. late 2000s, like Vatek and Seth Greenberg every single year, but they never made it. Team. Yeah. But they never Who, made Vatek? it. Like, yeah. True. Yeah. Kruger's yeah. at least making the freaking tournaments dude. Final like, this guy. Two, yeah. Yeah. He, He's he's getting there. He's relevant. He's done something. Yeah. Um, let, let's let's put a pin in this one, and we'll think we'll shop talk it tonight, and then uh, you know we'll we'll send out our long Kruger. We're better than this. We can come up with something better than this. Oklahoma at twenty four, best player Buddy Healed. I think um, 
so it, we said best player, Buddy Heald, and fan favorite, Blake Griffin. I feel like it should be reverse. I think Blake Griffin was the best player. I mean, Buddy did win the same award Blake did uh, and got him to a Final Four, but Blake was also the number one overall pick. And, I mean, he was absolutely amazing in college. I don't know. I think I think those two are probably your favorite. Maybe Wayman Tisdell, but that, that might be unfair. I'm crying uh, for me. Yeah. Sorry. No, that's fine. Any anyone else that you can think of? Buddy Heald, Blake Griffin. Um, I mean, there's not a I, lot of Oklahoma no. guys that I care about. No, I'm good. All right, twenty three out of the SEC. It is the Florida Gators. Two national titles back to back. Five Final Fours. Seven conference titles. Nine Elite Eights. Eleven Sweet Sixteens. And twenty two. NCAA tournament appearances. Florida, the powerhouse that Billy Donovan built. This man deserves a fucking statue on campus for what he's done. How does Florida not have a statue of Billy Donovan yet? They don't have the greatest all-around resume. Kind of surprising that they only have seven conference titles, but of course, it's the two national titles and the five trips to the Final Four. Uh, that it, it, That's what is placing Florida here. And then, of course, they've been to the Final Four here recently as well. I think it was 2014, maybe 2015, whenever UConn and that Shabazz Napier team uh, won the title. But it's also home to a great crowd and arena. On this, uh, on this journey that we've been on, Shark, we actually haven't spent too much time talking about some of these arenas. But uh, Florida has a great venue uh, down there in the swamp. And then, you know, you can't tell the history of Florida without mentioning first, of course, the back-to-back national titles that they won. And I think another neat part about this whole thing is the big three, Horford, Noah, and Brewer. They're all still playing in the league and contributing at some level. Uh, Brewer, the one who has the bragging rights, though, because he's the only one that was uh, part of a team that beat LeBron and route to a title. Horford's been dominated by LeBron, whether it be on the Hawks or the Celtics. And then, of course, Joachim Noah and those Chicago Bulls, Bulls teams could never get through LeBron. Corey Brewer did. I mean, Dirk Nowitzki mostly did, but Corey Brewer are along for that ride. I mean, Corey Brewer's trophy case must be it, – it's it can be up against a lot of uh, pros and college players. Uh, you know, I always say that a school is pretty definitively either a football school, a basketball school, or neither. I mean, if you right now, theater girl, I want you to think of any school, I think within a second or so, you can say, yep, that's a football school. That's a basketball school. Florida, make no mistake about it. It's a football school. But Billy Donovan came as close as anyone, probably the closest to shifting how we looked at a school. Uh, It's still a football school. It was a football school. But Billy Donovan came this close to making me. And I think a lot of people saying Florida's a basketball school. Uh, I've also stated, this is kind of another little supporting nugget. I've stated that if you went to Florida between 2004 to 2007, you had the greatest college experience ever of all time. There is second, uh, unless you hate sports, then in which case it probably sucked. But if you went to Florida during those years, it was the greatest titles in basketball. And of course, football Heisman winners. You get to troll Ohio state two years in a row in different sports. I mean, Urban Meyer, Billy Donovan, legends of the coaching game. That campus, and a lot's been made of it in terms of like the talent that was on that campus during that time. It's pretty insane when you take a step back, look at what Florida has accomplished. But at 23 are the Gators. 
I think you could uh, just to route you, you mentioned the big three, but you got to give credit to the two other guys as well. Lee Humphrey, we've done a where am I for him, and as well, also the point guard, Toreen Green. Great, perfect starting five. Uh, they went back to back. It doesn't happen. That the, really just does not happen in college basketball. You can say that that starting five, I'd confidently state they were the best of this century. Uh, just the fact that they're able to do it twice at a school that doesn't generally get five-star recruits to show up. They were everything about college basketball, great chemistry, complemented each other, um, inside-out type game. It, it was perfect. They stayed after they won. Everything that you would ever want at a team. That does kind of overshadow that the fact that Billy Donovan had actually made the Final Four with a different Florida team in 2000 as well. And that one had like the Udonis Haslam's that you think of. It had Matt Bonner. They made it as a five seed. They beat Duke. Who, I'm trying to remember who was on that Duke team in 2000. Um, producer. Uh, I think that's too old and too early. Um, yeah, I'm I forget who it was, but yeah, they made the final four there as well. So for I remember Florida had Teddy Dupay too, right? They did have Teddy Dupay. So there's another one. I mean, that was a really good team. And then for them to be able to do it back to back in 06 and 07 just tells you how good they are. Also, I do want to mention, and this is a good segue point for me right here. The history that Florida had before Billy Donovan is pretty much, I mean, it's terrible. Like they're not a good program at all. They were a runner up in 2000, but they had the two titles outside of that. They only made, they made a final four in 1994, but like one other tournament appearance, a couple, one other sweet 16 appearance. It's, it's very barren. I mean, Lon Kruger was the head coach, bring him back up again from in the early nineties, made the tournament a couple of times, but really outside of what we are have already referenced on the show the, the the history of this program is non-existent. They only have one retired number. I'm sure they're waiting for kind of the 20 year 20 year anniversary of the uh, of that starting five team to retire all those guys' numbers because they should be because of what they were able to bring to that university. But I mean, what else can you say about this uh, being able to go back to back like that? The closest thing it would have to be you know Jalen Brunson and Villanova, right? Yeah. With a year in between, I agree. Yeah. And I want to I want to hat tip Joachim Noah because he made Billy Packer so uncomfortable. I, it might have been after the first or second national title, but he was talking to Jim Nance after the game, after the title game, and he just does his like crazy chicken dance or whatever the hell it was. And Billy Packer just I think I think that might have been the last Final Four Bill, Billy Packer ever announced. I mean, I think he saw Noah dance and he was like, "I'm done. I'm out of here. Too old for this." Oh, yeah. So they beat. Was it the first year that they beat Ohio State when they had Greg Oden, or is that the second title that they had? I think it went UCLA first, and yeah, then I think you're right, Greg Oden. I think you're right because one of those on Twitter recently, they're showing how dominant Greg Oden was, like at the start of that game, all the shots that he was blocking, and the with a broken hand and wherever he had that was a problem. But just the fact that Noah and Horford were able to just handle a guy that was just a grown man at the college level at Odin at that point goes to show how good that team was. I mean, Noah is obviously one of the best defensive centers in the past decade, but you know, what's also interesting. And I, I joke about trolling Ohio state, but in both of their title losses to Florida in football and in basketball, they either lost an integral player. Ted Ginn, I think got injured in the, in a, in a, opening kickoff return. He like fucked up his ankle. That was friendly fire though. They all just piled on him after he scored. So that was, that was his teammates. And then of course, Odin, which I think is actually a, a much more warranted. What if 
Because I think if Grego, because he was shooting free throws with his left hand, and he still was a force. I, you know, that that Florida team showed year in and year out how great they were. But man, it, it is a very good what if, uh, if Odin is healthy. I mean, because Ohio State was, they were stacked as well. They had a hell of a team as well. Agreed. And to kind of get back into the psyche of our rankings here, just to kind of illustrate how much we value. Um, these titles and doing our rankings, Florida's only made the tournament 22 times. So that is m- more than 10. Le- uh, uh, Texas has, you know, 36 or so. Oklahoma has 10 more than them. So big old state schools here. Florida's made it 10 fewer times than those other schools. But just by the fact that they have these titles, they bump them up right there. But uh, really need to hammer the point home that Florida hasn't done really anything outside of the two thousands. Well, I think that's another, I mean, it, it's kind of like a double-edged sword, right? Some, some people will say, well, Florida has been a model of consistency since the two, since 2000, they absolutely have. But in the grand scheme of things all time, you know, this is where it lands them. And I mean, Mike white has kind of struggled a little bit here in the past few years. I think I'm not sure. I'm not very in touch with Florida basketball, but I do think his heat or his, his seat, excuse me, is warming up a little bit. I think he bought himself some time after beating Nevada, which really broke my heart in the tournament. Uh, but Florida, Mike white may not be the answer there. I disagree. I think he's a good coach. Um, you know, they obviously they're pretty hyped up going into this season. I thought that they were going to have a good run in the conference tournament in the SEC tournament and sneak in and they could be a dangerous team this year. But I mean, they made the elite eight a couple of years ago. They, they're, they're always a threat once they get in Florida home to probably the strongest player I've ever seen live in college. And that was Patrick young. I remember they came to Tucson and it was a top five, maybe top 10 matchup. And Caleb Tarzuski, who's a monster was trying to put back down Patrick young. No K, by the way, just to see. Patrick Young did not move an inch. One of the most ferocious, huge guys I've ever seen. See, I have a different opinion. I think he's all show muscles because I. Th- this was back when I was going sitting courtside at Tennessee games. I was I would get in there for Patrick Young. I was right right where I normally was. He's there. I mean, ripped to Timbuktu, and then the game starts, and Jarnell Stokes is throwing him around like he's you know a bag of chips. Well, hang on a second, Jar- Jarnell Stokes. <laughs> That's a beefy boy too. Well, I mean, Young was taller than him. I, I, I would expected him to put up a fight. It wasn't even close. Low man wins though. Chef Boy R. Stokes. He was a beefy guy. He should have stayed a few more years. I definitely should have. Uh, at twenty two now, out of the Pac twelve, finally we got some Pac twelve love, baby. It's the Utah Utes. One national title, four Final Fours, twenty nine conference titles, six Elite Eights. 16 Sweet 16s and 29 NCAA tournaments. Real quick before we dive into Utah, uh, Florida's best player, we said Joachim Noah. I'm not sure I agree with that. I think it's Al Horford. Uh, And then the fan favorite, not bad, Udonis Haslam. He's a Florida guy through and through. Uh, but that's that's where we have them. But okay, back to Utah. They come in at uh, the 22 spot here. And so... A lot of their conference titles came from and their damage came from before they joined the Pac-12, but I'm going to have to take a win here. And that's probably the reason why they do have 29 conference titles. But they also have some big names to have come through Salt Lake City. 
I rattled off a lot of names like Texas, but that's what you kind of expect a Texas, like for all the reasons you had mentioned how desirable Austin is to have those big names. But Utah has Andre Miller. They have Keith Van Horn, Michael Doliak, Andrew Bogut, who was the national player of the year and number one overall pick. And then Jakob Pertle. Pertle, I think, went number nine overall. Uh, so this is a program really, though, that Rick Majerus, Majerus built. Basically, your big, uh, huge, lovable teddy bear coach that everyone, I mean, Rick Majerus is a legend. Uh, and he brought this program to prominence and at one point was the best team in Utah, which is kind of an interesting little thought here because Utah as a state, it seems like they have the three major teams that just rotate in terms of who's great, right? So when Jimmer was at BYU, it was them in the late 2000 or late, late 2000s to 2010. Um, and then Utah in the late nineties with Van Horn and Doliak. And now Utah state with your boy, uh, wasn't it? Was that Sam, uh, Sam Sammy Merrill. Merrill, Sam Merrill. I was going to go Ellinger, the Texas quarterback, but Utah state and the Aggies, uh, they seem to have taken over, but I do think Larry Kristoviak has done a wonderful job at Utah. He's getting a lot of heat for, from some people. I don't understand why I don't necessarily know what people are expecting is the ceiling for Utah, but the Utes come in at 22. Yeah, this is where I wish we had Taylor, which, um, by the way, where is Taylor? You know, you guys spent about 15 minutes talking about where I was on the last episode. I didn't mention it at all right now. And the only reason I'm bringing it up is because Utah, I think they're ranked too high on our show here. I, I don't I don't get the appeal on my personal big board. I had them closer to 30. You know, I had Maryland above them. I had those other schools. Utah, all I can really recall is the, that late 90s team. Right, the one with Van Horn, and then Bogut was good for a little bit as well. But um, outside of that, what have they really done? They have all these tight uh, conference regular season championships, but you know Taylor would be the one to tell us what what you know weak league that was that they were winning those, and and they had Rick Majerus. When I look at this team, I I always go back to. I remember a tournament game must have been a couple of years ago when they made it with Kristoviak. They had the they had Podol and they had um, the who's the good point guard Kuzma. they had. No, no, oh, it was a point Delon uh, Wright. Delon Wright, yeah. So that Kuzma was on that team. I'm pretty sure Kuzma and Pertle yeah, played together. Maybe, yeah. Delon Wright, he was like their main guy, and they're playing Georgetown, and I had Utah over Georgetown in that game because everybody knows you pick against Georgetown in the tournament when they had JT three. So the game's going on and like Devante Smith Rivera on Georgetown was lighting it up. Utah, who was supposed to be really good that year, was just not very good at all. And I'm thinking like, what, what is the deal with this team? But I don't see the appeal in them. So I think they're ranked way too high here. The fact that they're above Florida is absolutely gut wrenching to me. Um, so maybe we can find a way to get Taylor's take on this because I'm sure that Pacific Northwest guy was pretty influential in getting this ranking pushed up there, but bad ranking. Well, they only have one less national title in Florida, only one less final four. They won Florida. the title in 1944. All right. All right. But all right. We're, we're still going all time. And of course the conference titles, I told you, look, man, Florida, I'm shocked at the amount of it, that they Florida only has seven SEC titles. I thought like I thought they would have much more. No, they get their crap program. They haven't done anything. I mean, we covered them already, but like, geez, 
I mean, Taylor's definitely going to have something. Like, this guy's going to have, well, well, actually, they've won the most. They've scored the most points per efficiency rating on a neutral court, which was a big deal from 42 to 67. Like, all right, dude. But, like, I'm looking at the numbers, and I'm looking at what I watch, and you're going to tell me that Utah was a better program than freaking Maryland, than UVA, than um, Florida, all these other ones that we've mentioned? Yeah, I think all time. Yeah, I'm I'm perfectly comfortable mentioning that. But – I will say though that Utah is one of those teams that could very well decline here in this this ranking. They probably won't be climbing at all, uh, but they could definitely decline um, because I mean I don't know. I think Kristoviak is doing a good job there, but his apex was definitely Pirtle, Kuzma, and Delon Wright, uh, which was like a Sweet Sixteen run, right? Like is that all they did? Yeah, I mean I, it wasn't it wasn't a very deep run. But they are, they do provide, there's always that one team in each conference that is just a thorn in everyone's side. Like you're on a roll and then you get tripped up by Utah, a random Thursday night game that Utah will come to town and Parker Van Dyke, that little fuck Parker Van Dyke will hit lights out threes on you. Okay. But I think that's a fair point. I mean, I can't relate to getting tripped up by Utah, but I imagine you're referring to Arizona getting tripped up by Utah. And oh, so it's all the like, back. Would you, would you put them as the 22nd best college basketball program in the history of college basketball? Cause that's what you're saying. You're getting tripped up by a team. Well, I, you know? I think I'm talking think, about them like they're Washington state or Colorado. I think uh, pimps from Oak. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of wedding crashes today. <laughs> I think the amount of final fours that they have, four of them, uh, carries the weight. And, of course, the players, too. I mentioned the players. I think that's a pretty solid roster. And then, of course, Rick, Rick Majerus. Uh, Rick Majerus is a legendary basketball coach who's beloved in all circles. So I'm happy with Utah there at 22. Uh, best player, we said Keith Van Horn. Again, I don't agree with that. I think it's Andrew Bogut. National player of the year, number one overall pick. Won a, won a title with the Warriors, so I like Bogut there. Uh, and then fan favorite, we said it was Andrew Bogut. That could be the truth. Who's, who's some other Utah? I'd favorites? say Andre Andre Miller probably had the best NBA career out of those guys. Um, <laughs> other Utah guy? It's slim. A, yeah, dude. Like, what the hell is this team doing at twenty? Like, where's Taylor? This is we need to. Can we call them right now so we can pipe them in? Because they're getting ragdolled on our program right now. Andre Stand Miller, up for him. Andre Miller with one of the most random 55-point games ever. Yeah. I mean, if you ask someone, true or false, Andre Miller had a 50-plus game in the NBA. I don't think a lot of people would say true. But alas. All right. Let's round out this week's rankings with 21. And it's out of the Big Ten, the fighting Illini of Illinois. Zero national titles, five Final Fours, 17 conference titles, nine Elite Eights, 11 Sweet Sixteens, and 30 NCAA tournaments for Illinois. The five Final Fours and 17 conference titles is one of the t- in one of the toughest conferences in basketball. That's, that's what carries them, Shark. They certainly have some good players that have suited up for them. But for me, the biggest names are the coaches. You're talking Bill Self. You're talking Bruce Weber. You're talking Long Kruger. <laughs> Boy, Long Kruger. <laughs> that's that's three Long Krugers in the Long it's Kruger. It's fucking incredible. It's not even. It's not even like 
he's an assistant coach at these places or director of player personnel coming up. He's the head coach at all of these places. You know, like how superheroes sometimes I'm sorry to hop in right here, but this Kruger thing, we didn't rehearse this at all. We're just, you know, this is the genuine thing that you're going to get. You know, how like a superhero when he comes in and he saves the day and like, he'll look around and be like, you know what? My job is done here. Long Kruger does that for some middling power five conference program, get some, where they're kind of bad. He gets them playing well for about a four-year stretch. He also coached at Kansas State, by the way. That's another one. UNLV, Kansas State, Florida, Illinois, Oklahoma. And then once he gets them to be pretty good, he looks around and just says, you know what, my job is done here. And then he's on to the next one. With the exception of Vegas, too, it's always in college towns. It's like, hey, hey, Lon, you, if someone said, hey, Lon, you want to come coach University of Utah in Salt Lake City? Mm, no. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> What would be like a perfect long Kruger job right now? What's like a kind of just below average program that he I can mean, just Kansas state. If he returns there, Kansas state's pretty good. Let's think. Well, let's pull up our, I'm going to go to the manifest like a, like a Missouri would Missouri, like Missouri. Kwanzo, not, yeah. Missouri would be perfect for long Kruger. Like a, you know, Ole Miss. Like a yeah. Huh? Yeah, yeah, Ole Miss would play. Ole, yeah, all these teams that are just off the top 50. Kruger would take them and get them into the top 50. That's what he does. <laughs> Holy <laughs> crap, dude. <laughs> all right, what were you saying? No, I just want, <laughs> I want to I want to get this list of Kruger in, and maybe we'll be we'll be the catalyst for him to just leave Oklahoma. I mean, what what else does he need to achieve? I, like if Quanzo, by long if, Quanzo gets fired, if Quanzo gets fired, they have to go get Long Kruger. He's the perfect coach for that. Yeah. Uh, but yes, the, the coaching names for Illinois are the ones that stand out. I had mentioned Bill Self, Bruce Weber, Kruger, and now a rising stud in Brad Underwood. You want to talk about a guy who I am fully camped out. I got a 10% down white picket fence in this guy's corner. It's Brad Florida. Underwood. I, yeah, I like the Florida Georgia line refuge right there. That's good. Yes, good. Uh, it's the summertime. You got to be listening to the FGL. Very sad, my Underwood campaign. What's that a reference to? Little slight. Come on, be quick. You, your your audio broke up a little bit. Get, get some better internet. All right. I know you're, you're. I know you're streaming from your childhood bedroom over there. I am. Um, but let's let's get let's step up the technology here because I couldn't hear you. I missed it. First boob I ever touched over my right shoulder in seventh grade. No, we don't need to be reporting that right now. Very sad though that my Brad Underwood campaign, Underwood campaign. What am I referencing? Oh, House of Cards. Thank you. Uh, it didn't yield him coach of the year last year. I mean, he, I was trying my, my darndest on Twitter, but uh, he didn't really deserve it. He came very close, though, because uh, he turned that program around with Ayo Desunmu and obviously Kofi Coburn, who I think are still technically undecided on whether or not they're going to the draft or coming back. If both of those guys come back, I'm looking at a top 10 team in Illinois, uh, and, and Champagne is going to be – they're going to be popping it. I'll tell you what. Uh, so – Brad Underwood, I love it, but you can't talk about Illinois without remembering uh, their most legendary, iconic team, 2004-2005, that had D. Brown, Darren Williams, and Luther Head as one of the most iconic and, and best trios in college basketball history. And we had mentioned with Florida about their arena. Uh, Illinois' home venue, fantastic. Another arena that brings the noise as well. Uh, the Orange Crush really do make it brutal for the opponent. Illinois, I will say, though, that in, in 2004, they were one of those teams that just didn't stand a chance in their title game. I mean, it was a great run for them. 
obviously defeating Arizona in the Elite Eight. That was probably the highlight of their tournament run. But then they ran into, uh, I think it was Rashad McCants, Ray Felton, and uh, Sean May, Carolina team. No chance. Yep. So no shame in, in them losing. But the Illini in at 21. I have a hard time figuring out. I, I, you know what I'll do? I've been waiting to unveil this nickname for the right the right person, but I'm going to use it here. I'm going to kind of test this in beta right now. No, I, I call, I would call Illinois. They're like a semicolon. I just don't know what to do with that thing. Like, I don't know where to put it. I don't know how to use it. I don't quite know how to figure it out, but I know when it's there, it looks cool. And it looks like an established, well-refined program. So I'm going to take the semicolon and give it to a player probably in college basketball at some point. But Illinois is a perfect example of that because like they, they have done a lot. Believe it or not, they have the five Final Fours. A couple of those were a long, three of those were a long time ago, but they grabbed one in 89. They have the one in 2005 when they were runner-ups. And these guys are freaking consistent. They've made the tournament in the early 2000s. They made it nine out of the first 10 years. They haven't made it since 2013. So it's been kind of a, a lull, but I do think Brad Underwood's going to turn that around pretty quick. But they're they're... In the 80s, they were winning. In the 90s, they were winning. Uh, in the 70s, they weren't. So that was a tough time. But I mean, what can you do? You're going to have a bad decade every once in a while. They, they, their resume, in and of itself, you know, they 11 Sweet 16s, uh, conference titles. They're well rounded. It's just they haven't broken through. And their best year to do it was 05. They just ran into a buzzsaw. Well, you mentioned that lull since 2013, and it's all coming down to the coaches, in my opinion, because. Illinois is a destination type place if you want to, if you're a college basketball player. But we had mentioned Self, we mentioned Kruger, we mentioned Bruce Weber, now Underwood. You know who the coach was during that lull, like from 2013 up until a couple of years ago? I do, Grochi. Yeah, gross. he's at Akron. He, gross. Gross. Just terrible. He's at Akron now. I actually like that guy as a coach too, because he, I'm pretty sure they made it in his first year and, you know, I'm going to do it again right now, but they were a seven, 10 matchup bottom right bracket. Pretty sure they played Colorado. Uh, and they pretty sure they lost that game. Uh, actually they might've was, was, was Dimitri McKamey on that team. I don't know. I can't give you names for that time. I, I, I'll tell you where they were on the bracket. So Illinois coming in at 21, their best player, we said it was D Brown. I, mean, I disagree. It's, it's Darren Williams, isn't it? Yeah, I mean they they probably have. You know, who would be? I bet from the eighties they probably had a player in the nineties as well. Um, I can't pull any off the top of my head. Do you know? Remember anyone from the eighties or nineties that played at Illinois? Because they no, were a good but, team. But I mean, Darren Williams Nick, led them. Nick Anderson. Them. There's one right there. Yeah. But Darren Williams' head was nasty too, though. He was, he was. Yeah. But I mean, if we're if we're putting together best player, Darren Williams not only had that in college, led him to a national title game appearance, but he, at one point it was argued that it was either him or Chris Paul as the best point guard in the NBA. So I, I got to give the nod there to Darren Williams. Uh, fan favorite, we said it was Darren Williams, but I'm okay with putting like D Brown, Luther Head. What about James Augustine? James Augustine. The yeah. forgotten guy there. Yeah. Roger Powell. Ball player. Yeah. I mean, I'm just going strictly off of their 0405 team. That's really all I remember from the Illini. Yeah. Uh, but that is 25 
through 21 shark like i said we made it through or made it to the top 25 now 25 was texas 24 oklahoma 23 florida 22 utah and 21 the Illini. a few other news and notes before we take a quick break and finish it off with hugs and where am i uh howard dean former governor of vermont see the governor um I'm going to say governor. Yeah. Howard Dean replied back to me in a tweet. So to give you you guys a little bit of context, Howard Dean tweeted something about COVID-19 saying, you know, I want my sports back. I like watching college football, like watching college basketball. And I was feeling a little ambitious, feeling, you know, not, not very bashful at all. Tweeted at him. The Sorrentine gif said, Hey, I'm sure you let out a big yeah. And he replied and confirmed that he did. So Howard Dean potential, uh, theater goer, potential Titch fan, if you're listening, Howard. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Musa Cisse, top recruit going to Memphis. Hug for the rest of the barn guys. Uh, I'm not sure if you saw that as well, but I think, I think it was Hack Goodman who had a pretty funny tweet. He was like, I mean, I think he meant this earnestly. He tweeted this non facetiously. He's like, Penny looks to have another loaded team if they can just stay away from suspensions and injury. <laughs> it's just just a dickhead thing to say uh you know one of those deals where he might not have understood how he came off there but musa yeah. Cisse. um and then jonathan kaminga another top recruit i feel like there's a million top recruits and everyone's all ranked number one titus titus said that the other day too he's like how can Amani Bates and Kaminga and Musa Cisse and look, they they may not be all in the same grade, but it feels like they're the number one. They're all the number one overall rated player. Uh, but Jonathan Kaminga bypasses the NCAA for the G League. He almost picked Texas Tech. I mean, Chris Beard is truly, truly building something down there in in Lubbock. But Kaminga going to the G League, hug for him. I don't want to hear though how like college basketball is doomed and how it's going to be de- dead in a couple years. Uh, it's going to be just fine. It would be nice to see guys like Kaminga play in college, but you know, hug for them. Uh, let's go ahead and round this out, though, Shark. But before we do that, a quick message from our guy Zach at the Barnburner Podcast Network. All right, let's finish it up here. Where am I? Where am I? Where am I? Now, I feel like you're really going to love this one, and I made a I made two references to this team. Now, this is a boyhood, like middle school, early, early. Yeah, it was definitely middle school. Uh, NCAA tournament player who is often overlooked in one of the best upsets and also best moments in tournament history. Can you guess who I'm referring to? I wasn't paying enough attention to your Easter eggs through the show. So I'm going to either either need another hint. Or just tell me. I'm just going to tell you. Uh, it is Jermaine Mopajila. No. Uh, I almost did a, I almost uh, called up a, uh, where am I for him a while ago? But please continue. Jermaine Mopajila, where am I? Former Vermont Catamount that was part of the team that beat Syracuse is now a senior software engineer at Home Depot in the greater Atlanta area. He's also worked at GE. So he's got quite the resume, quite the work experience. Uh, here's the other thing though, that people do not know. Taylor Coppenrath was probably the best player on that team consistently throughout the entire year. 
people remember, I think it was Tom Brennan, the head coach. People remember the Sorrentine shot. Do people forget, though, that Jermaine Mopajilla was head and shoulders the best player in that basketball game against Syracuse? Oh, oh. He was. No, he was. I'm, he led them in points, rebounds, and assists. He had 29 and five. He was the best player on the court. I remember him pretty much stepping out stepping out of bounds on the baseline right there. I remember exactly where I was when I watched this game. And I think it was strictly because they didn't cover him. Like they, they only covered cop and wrath and Sorrentine. So obviously they're playing the two, three zone throughout the game right there, but like they just left him alone entirely. He stepped up, but he wouldn't have had those opportunities had the attention and focus not gone to Sorrentine and cop and wrath. How many points did cop and wrath have that, have that game? I don't know, but this is more than just stepping up. Like Grayson Allen against Wisconsin in the title game came off no, the that, bench. He stepped up. Jermaine Mopajila, 29 and five. That's a complete game. Yeah. No, that 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 is a surprising number right there. That's a full day. That's a hell of a day. That's a Mopajila right there. So Jermaine Mopajila, yeah, uh, senior software engineer at the Home Depot. Shark, let's finish it off with hugs. You got anything? I just looked up the numbers. He only had 20 points in that game. Dude. Oh, 29 and four. Okay. 29, five and four. Got it. That actually reinforces my point even more. Balance. Well, I mean, it's. I, I thought you said 29 at first. Sorrentine was five of 20 from the field. Jeez. I'm <laughs> telling you. He, had he, drilled, he drilled it when it mattered. Guess how many bench points they had in that one? Nothing. None. <laughs> no, zero bench points. Wow. All right. Anyway, sorry about that. Um, I actually, you asked me about the wedding in the beginning. I got to bring up the story right now because you just did the Valvano thing. The, the the deacon that was doing the homily in my wedding. I never talked about my passion for college basketball with him at all. He gets up there. We're doing like a very relatively socially distant, um, uh, you know, ceremony, everything in the church. He gets up there and within his homily, he's going through, yeah, you got to love each other. You got to do all that. Yeah, whatever. And then he goes, Jim Valvano once said, and I start losing it up there as I'm sitting up there. He's quoting Jimmy V, my favorite quote, the picture on my on my Twitter profile right there. He says, Jim Valvano once said, you got to laugh. You got to think you got to cry. Well, I'm telling you guys, you got to do one more thing. You got to pray. And I was like, dude, let's 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 get married right now. Great speech. Many are asking, was this premeditated part? No, no chance. Because I mean, obviously, you got to do. You weren't able things. to sneak away and be like, "Father, Father." None. I mean, it, it's God. That's fate. Believe in God, right there, right there. Anyways, let me give my hug. Quick transition. My hug is going to go to Jim Christian. We're we're talking faith right here. We're going to talk Jim Christian. You like that transition right there? That's why they pay us no bucks. But Christian Jimmy Christian. Transition. Thank you for that. Um, book just bagged another recruit for 2021 in New England. So I. A lot of people that follow us, they're starting to see that I'm starting to pipe up a little bit more and more about BC lately. I'm getting in the mud with UMass. I'm getting in the mud with Providence. I'm going to start getting in the mud with UConn once they start losing a few games. And that is because I think Boston College is going to make the freaking tournament this year. I think this is the year. I think the pro, the, the talent is all there. Jimmy Christian, for whatever reason, he's got nine lives. And this ninth life is going to be the one that pays off because as long as they stay healthy, he's starting to recruit a little bit better. He's got his main man, Scotty Spinelli, my guy, number one recruiter. He looks like Gigi Sestone from uh, The Sopranos with the guy that died on the toilet when he was taking a shit. This team coming together, they're starting to bring in talent. BC is going to come back in New England. They're going to take over. 
So on that ninth life, he makes the tournament. Let's fast forward a year after that. Do you want that? Like, do you want that to happen? Do you want? Do you think this will propel like a steady run of tournament appearances for Christian, or will it be like a Steve Donahue? I mean, Steve Donahue didn't do shit actually at BC. I'm just trying to think like what happens next. Do you want him to succeed and then go yes. back down? Of All course, right. I want him. I, I want him to succeed. I thought for about two years ago the program seemed relatively aimless because recruiting wise they weren't bringing anyone. Something has changed. Uh, something has changed, at least in New England, because we're starting to get players in New England. We got the Langford brothers coming in. Um, you know, the, the most talented guys are from the D.C. area, which, I mean, I'm not complaining about recruiting from the DMV. There's great talent that comes there. So they're, they're opening doors. Uh, Spinelli is finding a way to get it done. And their talent, is, you know, Bowman and Jerome Robinson, those guys were from down in North Carolina. It was kind of weird that they ended up here, but now like the better players on the team, Winston Tabs, Jay Heath, they're both DC guys. And then we're going to get Lankford and, you know, Gianni Thompson here, who hopefully will be a good player as well. But like, it's slowly starting, you're starting to get actual college basketball players, not like Patrick Heckman's of the world. Um, and it's, uh, I don't know. I'm pretty excited. And the whole thing with COVID, if we're playing with no fans, like no fans go to BC games anyway. So we already have a leg up right there. We don't, we're ready to go. I will I will agree with you that the hype is good for your Twitter activity. It's nice to see you sort of come out of that little little hole of yours and start chirping at the big dogs. So we'll see how that goes and works out for BC and Jim Christian. My hug is for the University of St. Thomas, which I believe is somewhere in Minnesota. Uh they are going to it might be St. Thomas, Minnesota shit. I'm not I'm not sure. But they are going to jump from D three to D one because they were just too dominant. Uh, the D three teams just said, we don't want you here anymore. You're too good. Get out of here. They didn't do the gradual rise through D two. So they went straight to D one, the Tommies. That's their name. Uh, kind of seems like someone just got lazy about that one, but the Tom, the St. Thomas Tommies uh, will be joining the summit league. So watch out for them in the Jerome. And you know, there, there used to be a team in Phoenix, Arizona, Grand Canyon Lopes, who were kind of that lovable team that made the jump from D three or D three D two to D one. Uh, but they just they had a messy fallout with Dan Marley. I think he's suing them, so they're kind of back page news. My eyes are going to be on the Tommies uh, moving forward. So hug for the University of Saint Thomas, and hug for you. Thank you for listening. We will be back in a couple weeks for our top twenty. Like I said, we're inching closer and closer. Uh, and, and we got the top 20 coming up. So we will talk to you soon and we'll talk to you next time here on theater and college hoops. Well, you guys, you have already got the picture here. I I was about to say, you know, I I'm sure there's some disappointed people here. You know what? You know something? You know something? If you had told us one year ago that we were going to come in third in Iowa, we would have given anything for that. And you know something? You know something? Not only are we going to New Hampshire, Tom Harkin, we're going to South Carolina and Oklahoma and Arizona and North Dakota and New Mexico. We're going to California and Texas and New York. And we're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Yeah!